So who out there is tired? Oh, come on now. You have a good day, though? You're tired, but you have a good day? Good. So listen up. Um, I want everybody to do something. But I know you just got to stand it up. I want you to take 10 seconds. Just 10 seconds. Stand up and just, just wiggle around a little bit. Everybody just get up and just move your arms. Do some stretching. John really wants me to use my Stretch it out, do some do some yoga. Whatever you like. Wiggle, do jazz hands. Jazz hands are a good way to stretch it all out. Keep moving. Alright, now you guys, you guys can sit down. That's it. That's it. Some of you are looking at me like I have moved enough today, Tony. Let me fall asleep in the back. You are ready. Um it's been so good to do with you guys tonight, um, tonight, this whole week, um, and I'm really excited about where we're headed uh, tonight. And I wanted to ask this question to start us off. So we've been we've been through a we've been through a, uh, a a journey. We started with defining joy, right? We've moved on to this idea of of joy in life. How do we live out our joy, right? Can anybody in the, in, the, in the midst of your exhaustion tell me, what did we talk about last night? Joy in what? Joy in sorrow. That makes me feel good. Um, joy in sorrow. And tonight we're going to talk about, one of the things that I've heard back from a couple of you is this, the idea is we're using this sort of nebulous term or idea of joy in Christ, but what does that actually mean to have joy in Christ? So tonight, um, tonight we're going to be talking uh, about joy, joy in Christ. That's where we're headed. And before we get there, I have a question for you. You guys are moving, you are thinking, uh, just talking a little bit. Where in society do you see people rejoicing? Uh, think about what it will take for somebody to rejoice. Where in culture, in everyday life, do you see people rejoicing over something? Rejoicing over over a thing or something, an event, something like that. Right, right, right here. Yeah, a lot of celebration when their worldview or perspectives have been have been supported by the popular culture. Like if you're voting for a candidate and they win, you rejoice over it. Or law that you're going for. So, so some of the political run right here. Coffee. Coffee. Perfect. Let's pray. We're done. No. Um, okay. Yeah. So so things that bring them pleasure make them rejoice. Okay. Right here in the back. A wedding. Right. When we see, when we're happy for relationships, we rejoice. We see people literally cheering and, and, and showing exuberance over something that's happened. Anybody else? Where do you see people rejoicing in the culture? Yeah, here. Where? When babies are born. When babies are born, right? We get excited about that and there's a little cheering going on when a baby is born. Yes, right here. Sports. Man. We love cheering for... Things that have nothing to do with us, actually, right? Sports, man, people flip out at sports. And by people, I mean me. Uh, I get crazy when I watch sports. Um, so our team, I live in St. Louis, and our team, thank you, John, I appreciate that. Um, our team, the St. Louis Blues, 
Uh, they're a hockey team. They Ooh. won the Stanley. Who we had a blue stand here? Yeah. Okay, Neil, I'm gonna buy you dinner. Um, so we, so so we have this hockey team from the Blues, and, I, and I'll be, they won the Stanley Cup. They won the Stanley Cup. That, that's the thing that that, that is like the, the ultimate uh, in hockey is winning the Stanley Cup. Now I'm gonna say this. I support our local hockey team. I like them, um, but I'm not one of those guys that has like a Blues tattoo on my forehead, right? Uh, I don't have that. I don't have Blues paraphernalia. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, confession time, I didn't really watch any Blues games. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals, when that clock was ticking down, I was going bonkers. Like, I was flipping out, cheering, whooping, my son thought I was weird, because I was, I was going nuts. And why was I doing that? There's something in us that is wired to rejoice when something is seemingly being done on our behalf, when something that is being done for us, and I, you know it's funny, whenever you see a team win a sports thing, like baseball, hockey, whatever, and they're like, we're doing this for you, Detroit! You know, they say that, this whole thing was for you, St. Louis, that's part of us, I'm like, yeah, you did it for me. You were thinking of me. Um, there's something about us that enjoys that when somebody's doing something on our behalf, right? I think it's wired in us is that we rejoice when we see something powerful done that's outside of us, but is connected to us and for us. Tonight we're gonna to talk about two things, guys, two things. If you're note takers, you can write down these two things. And the first thing is this. What does it actually mean for us to have our joy in Christ? What does it actually mean for us to have our joy in Christ? And the other thing is this. What does our joy have to do with Christ's joy? So the first one's focused on our joy. What does it mean to have our joy in Christ? The second thing we're going to look at tonight is, is this. Is what is Christ's joy? What does our joy have to do with Christ's joy? What does the Bible say about Christ? So the first one, what does it mean to have joy in Christ? Another way you can say this is, how do I find joy in Christ? I know the more practical question that many of you have asked so far is, how do I find joy in Christ? In Christ. And to, to, to look at that, we're going to look at, a, we're going back to Philippians, and we're going to look at something that Paul says in Philippians 1. If, you're, if you want to open your Bible and follow along, you can go for that, but we also have it here on the screen as well. And so this is what Paul says in, in Philippians 1, and he's just talking to the Philippians a little bit about what his joy is like, what his life is like, his perspective on his joy in Christ is. And I want you to think as I read this, guys. I want you to think about what is your honest response to Paul's sentiment here? What is your honest response and thought to what Paul says here? Philippians 1. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, it's saying if I stay here and I keep living, it's good things are going to happen. I'm going to keep working. It's going to be fruitful. It's going to be good. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, meaning to depart this earthly life, and to be with Christ. For that is far better. Couple people. What's your honest response when you read this? When you hear this, right here. Okay. So there's that reality of, well, you're going to die eventually, Paul. So you've got to have both, right? So there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that right here. Okay. So even as a Christian, 
that there's joy that goes beyond death. That's really good. Thumb that one. We're going to kind of return to that theme later. Anybody else? Your honest response to this, David. Well, I mean, he's saying he wants to part of you with Christ. I'm like, depending on what's going on in your life right now, you're like, well, I don't want to go right now. Right. Right. Well, our honest response is like, yeah, I, I get it. Thematically in my head, being with Christ would be amazing, but like, I'm kind of enjoying this right now. Uh, there, there's things. The idea of saying to die is gain should be a hard pill for us to swallow. But for some reason, it's not a hard pill for Paul to swallow. So how can he say this? How can departing life and all the good things that come with it be better? Well, this is why. For Paul, this is pretty straightforward and simple, but, but let it sink in to not just your, oh, okay, but let it sink in here. Let it sink in here. What Paul is saying is his greatest joy is not in his fruitful labor, is not in his relationships, his friendships, in his family, in his hopes, in his dreams, in his plans. His greatest joy simply done, period, is Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for him. Now, how can he say that? Because his heart, I want you to hear this, his heart is tuned. His, Paul's heart is calibrated. Paul's heart is coded to find its joy in something outside of its own satisfaction. Guys, our default oftentimes is to try to just scan and say, what's going what's gonna to just satisfy me today? And that will be my joy for the day. And Paul is saying, my joy is beyond my own satisfaction. It's actually in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. Paul understands this, that a life dedicated, we've already talked about this, but it's good to be reminded, a life dedicated to self and self-betterment at the end of the day is worthless. A life dedicated to just trying to be a better me will bring you what I'm going to just simply call imposter joys. I'm not trying to say you go home and you follow the way of the world and you say, oh, joy's about me. You just, your whole life's going to be trash. You're going to have moments that feel great. But Paul is saying that a fulfilled life of joy simply cannot be achieved by self-betterment. And he gets this, and I want you guys to hear this. If you're zoning out, zone back in. Paul gets this so well. He acknowledges and recognizes his need to be saved. Part of Paul's joy, being so deeply ingrained in Christ, begins with Paul recognizes the depth of his sin, and how much he desperately needs Jesus Christ. And how much Jesus has done for him and gives to him in his need. Guys, if we do not recognize the depth of our sin, the depth of our need for a Savior, we cannot truly begin the journey to joy in Jesus Christ. We must recognize what our sin is. And one of those first steps is having a clear vision. But we ignore our sin oftentimes. We distract ourselves from our sin. Or we try to just pretend that our sin really isn't that big of a deal. So there's a few folks in this room that do it this way, what I just said. It's just like, I get it, like I messed up, but I'm really, look at all these other things that I do. My sin really isn't that big of a deal. If you don't recognize that you have a deep need, you're not going to recognize you have a need for a savior. And so the idea of Jesus isn't going to be that profound. Others of you probably get the idea of the depth of your sin, and your default subconscious says, but if I just do X, Y, and Z, 
If I just perform in these certain ways, spiritually and in life, then I can overcome my own sin. And you maybe wouldn't even say it that way. You probably wouldn't write it out that way. But many of you are trying to earn God's joy in you by how you live your Christian life. Both, both are completely void of the potential to have fulfilling joy. Anybody seen this movie? Free Solo? Anybody seen it? Starring Paul Reinheim, it's amazing. <laughs> Not many of you have seen it, but it's good. Go home and see it. It's a really good movie. I can't promote everything and word that's in it, but it's a really deep movie. Uh, Free Solo is a story about Alex Honnold, who is the first free solo uh, climber of El Capitan. Anybody seen El Capitan? Go to Yosemite, please. Uh, El Capitan is this massive, there he is climbing it, because uh, that's what the movie's about. Uh, El Capitan is this massive, flat, vertical, granite, sheer rock face that is 900 meters tall, round about 3,000 feet, I believe. Some of you mountain folks can correct me later if you wish. And this guy free solos that, which means this. He climbs it with nothing, right? He's not strapped in. He doesn't, if he falls, he dies. Period. He starts at the bottom and he goes to the top. And if you've seen El Capitan, it's not like, here I go. El Capitan literally is a sheer vertical, and at times you're climbing up this way, the rock face. And the movie documents how he does this. When you're talking to the filmmakers, it's crazy. They're like, we're filming this movie that could be big, but it's kind of weird because he could die. Right? And what's profound to me about this movie is he says this. Uh, at one point they ask him something along the lines, uh, why do you do this? Why do you love this? And we're used to these kind of situations, guys being like, oh, dude, I just love the thrill. The thrill amps me up with adrenaline. I just love that feeling. Give me more. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, they, they all sound that way, by the way. Um, <laughs> he loves it, not because he's a thrill seeker, but essentially he says this. This is so profound. He said, I love doing this and I do this because you have to be perfect or you will die, is what he says. This is, this is the actual quote. I don't want to fall off and die either, this is mid-quote, but there's a joy and satisfaction, this is joy, to challenging yourself and doing something well. Okay, they're, 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 that's true, I'm not throwing that out the window. There's something joyful about, I've accomplished something, that's great. The, that feeling is heightened when you're for sure facing death. If you're seeking perfection, free soloing is as close as you can get. And it does feel good to feel perfect for a brief moment. Some of you scoff at this quote. Many of you are actually chasing it. The moment where it's, I feel worthy before my teachers, before my parents, before my friends, before my social media people before God. I feel for a moment worthy because I did this, this, and this. And that feels good. And it's a lie. And it distracts us from our need for a Savior. It distracts us from the depth of our sin. When we give our lives trying to experience our own perfection and betterment, there's no real joy there. And it's actually as dangerous as death. But, I want you to hear this. 
instead of striving for the perfection, when we let ourselves come into contact with the truth of what Jesus has done for us, and listen to this, and rest, that word is mostly foreign to our generations, and rest in the truth that you can't work your way, you can't discipline your way, you can't good your way to perfection, but actually in the cross and in the resurrection, perfection is freely and openly, without money, without cost, offered to you and given to you in joy. What happens then? What happens when you're not striving, but you're resting in what Jesus Christ has done for you and who he is? Guess what? Your souls, your souls are stirred. And joy begins to grow. Where has your heart been divided over how deep your sin goes and what Christ has done for you? How has your heart been divided? Guys, if we can't rest, truly rest in what Jesus has done for you, we're not going to rejoice in who he is. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it actually in a fuller way. If we don't recognize the depth of our sin, rest in what he has done because of it, and then if we don't do those things, we can never rejoice in who he is. And we're going to miss out on this. Philippians 1.8, Paul says this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether it's told in truth or whether it's told in a weird, strange, misguided way, no matter what, when Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. We miss out on that. When our hearts can rest in what he's done and rejoice in who he is, guess what happens in our lives and our lips? We proclaim him. And we don't proclaim him in awkwardness or nervousness or fear. We proclaim him naturally and we proclaim him in joy. Joy in Christ is not just a feeling or a state of being. It's actually a part of the mission of this life. And it's actually a part of what we're called to. It's why Paul has said to us, I command you to have joy. Because he knows that when we are joyful, filled with joy Christians, we proclaim him. And we rejoice in proclaiming him. It's active. Our joy is active. We can't help but speak about what we find joy in. My son Carter loves Pokemon. And I promise you, this is what happens almost every day. He comes home from school. I say, Carter, how was music today? Did you learn a song? And he'll say, hmm, did you know that Psyduck can blow himself up? <laughs> and I'll say, I think you missed the question. What did you learn in music today? Dad, Pikachu is super cool. He can't help. He loves Pokemon. He can't help but speak. About it. It's not Psyduck. Sorry, I'm just crazy. Um, but he can't help but speak about what he's taking deep joy in. You know what the apostles said in the book of Acts? Do you know what the apostles said in the book of Acts about Jesus? They said this. I'm giving the mic away, so I'm going to say it loud. They said, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. They've come into a real tasting and seeing relationship with who Jesus is and what he's done. And they said, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. God, what if we were like that? Have you seen and heard and tasted the joy of being in Christ and what he has done for you? Look, you can, you can know it. 
You could read me the story. You could tell me verbatim how the whole cross story went. That doesn't mean that you have seen it and tasted it and felt it. So what does our joy have to do with Christ's joy? Did Christ have joy? We got Jesus wept. I don't remember the verse that says Jesus laughed. Is, did, did Christ experience joy? And the Bible says yes. Hebrews 12. This is our second point, remember. Is that, what does Christ's joy have to do with our joy? Hebrews 12 says this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've been talking about the journey of joy this week. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Doing what, guys? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, joy, Jesus experienced joy before him, the joy that was set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him. What was set before Jesus Christ? The cross was set before him. And the cross is vital. The cross is essential. We must have the cross. It is through the cross that we have the forgiveness of sins. It is through the cross that we have the penalty being paid. And Jesus looked at the cross. But this verse says that he endured the cross. So what was the joy that was set before him? What was the joy that moved him to the cross? Jesus was looking beyond the cross. Jesus was looking at the cross as deep, and Jesus was looking deeper even than the moment on the cross. I'm going to walk you through it. Guys, in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the night before Jesus was crucified. It was the night that the prison guards came to get him and arrested him. And what did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He, he kneeled in prayer alone in the garden. And he did, did, did he do it as some sort of divine soldier, not feeling any emotion, just doing what his mission was accomplishing? No, Jesus sat in the garden and he wept. And Jesus sat in the garden and he trembled. And the Bible even tells us that Jesus sat and prayed in the garden and he sweat blood. There have been stories about animals that have moved out of captivity and are scared and they begin to sweat blood. Their veins burst out of what? Out of anxiety and but the joy that was set before him what was it that caused him to endure the sweating of blood even in the garden of Gethsemane what does he say to his father in prayer what does he say to his father in prayer before he does this is he this stone faced divine robot again just accomplishing his mission no he says this he says is there any other way Jesus said, is there any other way for me to do this? He looks and they call it the, 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 the cup of wrath, right? And he knows that he's about to drink the cup of wrath to its drop. This is the, the wrath of his father poured out, deserved, reserved for and deserved by us. And Jesus knows he's about to drink every drop of his father's wrath. And he says, is there any other way for me to do this? And guys, if he didn't have joy set before him, 
We don't know what that moment would have brought. But you know what? The joy that was set before him, Luke could say something else, and it was this. Not my will, but your will be done. The joy that we have in Christ moves us to say, it's not my will, but it's your will. And Jesus' joy drove him to say, is there any other way but not my will? Your will be done. And Jesus does what? Jesus endures the journey. And he endures the lashes that rip skin off of his back and pour blood over his body. And he endures the bruises. He endures the mocking. He endures the thorns shoved into his skull. He endures the embarrassment of being stripped. He endures the, the, the nails in his wrists. He endures the, the slashing of his body. But his eyes were set on joy. His eyes were set on joy. But even there on the cross, what does he do? Tim Keller says that in this moment of pain, in this moment of sorrow, in this moment of anguish, he looked up to where his father would be, and it was hell that was set before him. His father turned his face away, and he drank the cup of wrath that is for you and it's for me. And he didn't leave a drop. And even in that moment, what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The anguish on the cross, but Jesus' eyes were set on the joy that was before him. What was that joy? What was the cross aimed at? What was Jesus set upon as he endured these things? Hebrews tells us one of them that he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the things that Jesus' joy is centered on is his own glory. Is his own glory. His joy is set on him being glorified. But we also know, as John 3.16 tells us, that he, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The joy set before Jesus. Guys, I want you to hear this, please is yes, it's his glory. And it was also his people. It was you. It was on his mind. It was, it was us. It was the joy that was set before Christ as he endured the cross. The joy set before him was his glory and us. Winning us back to himself was what he had in mind. And that joy moved him to where he went. And that joy also beckons us to follow him. In John 15, Jesus pleads with us. In John 15, he says, abide in me. Which means remain in me, be with me, hear me, listen to me, soak yourselves in me. And at the end of that passage, what does he say? He says this, do this, do this, these things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you. Christ's joy is for us. And then he says that your joy may be what? May be full. Jesus just said, I want my joy that brought me to the cross and endured it. You, that relationship, I want that joy in you. And only then will your joy be full. Only then will you be content. Only then will you be satisfied. Christ's joy is our joy. We must look to him. And like we ended with last night, we must hold on to him. Do you rejoice in what Jesus has done for you?
I said this before and I'm going to revisit it. You can know it, guys. You can, you can memorize the whole end of every gospel and read every word and you can know it. And you can watch the movies and shows and films that have been made about it. You can know it. You can understand the theology of it. You can talk about double imputation all day long. You can talk about the reality of what it means that his sin, I'm sorry, our sin became his to him. And his, his perfection became, you can talk about it. You can understand it. You can be inspired by it twice a year when you go to a camp. But do you rejoice in it? Does it move you? Does it stir you? The joy of Christ is not just to inspire us. The joy of Christ is meant to fill us and drive us to him. I'm going to show you a clip uh, from a good movie. I'm not going to prompt it too much, but I'm going to say this. I want you to look at the character uh, of Nemo, actually. And I want you to look at his face during this scene. And this is a scene where Nemo is about to hear something and someone tells him about something that has happened, about something that's taking place. And at first, Nemo is unmoved. He's unaffected. He actually, he actually doesn't believe it and moves away from it and tries to distract himself from it. But I want you to look at what happens to Nemo as these words are said to him. Oh, as he loosened the periodontal ligament the other day, oh, what am I talking about? Nemo, where's Nemo? I've got to speak with him. What? What is it? You and I have been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. Really? Really? He's traveled hundreds of miles. He's been battling sharks and jellyfish, all sorts of... Are you sure? What was his name? Uh, some sort of sport fish or something. Tuna? Uh, trap? Marlin? That's it. Marlin. The little clownfish from the reef. It's my daddy! He took on a shark! I bet he took on three. Three? Three? Three sharks? It's time to put in under two. You see, if you, after you were taken by Daddy Dan over there, your dad followed the boat you were on like a maniac. Really? He's swimming in, he's swimming, he's giving it all his stuff, and then three gigantic sharks cut through him. He blows him up, and then Daddy starts to be chased by a monster. Huge thing. I tear up whenever I watch that scene. And the reason I do is because it challenges me. Because Nemo's in awe. You see his face. He is in awe of the story of what his father has done for him. And it moves him. I can keep going on. What does it move him to do? It actually moves him to respond. He goes and he's set on getting out of that fish tank when he hears what his father has done for him. But in that moment, his, we're going to get to this passage in a minute, something was burning within Nemo as he listened to the story of what his father has done for him. I don't know what the joys, the fake imposter joys are in your hearts tonight that are preventing you from feeling awe and joy in what Christ has done for you. But I know that in Christ on the cross, we know that in his mercy and his love for you, he doesn't dismiss you, 
He doesn't reject you, but he is committed to overcoming the false joys in your life and to turn your heart and mind and eyes towards joy in him. When Jesus was resurrected, he did a really funny thing. Is he kind of snuck up on some of his disciples in mystery and just walked within them, and they didn't know it was him. And when he left and they realized who it was, remember what they said? They said, our hearts burned within us when he walked with us. We can't help when we walk with Jesus and we stare at Jesus and we soak ourselves in the story of what Jesus has done for us. We can't help but have our hearts burn within us. They burn for the disciples because what? They were with him. He wasn't an idea. He wasn't a, a, a faith group that's part of your many sides of life. He was with them. I'm going to finish by reading this. These letters that were written by Peter to people, but they were written for you. And my prayers as I read these, and we close with these words, that they would begin to stir in you a joy for what Jesus has done. You can read along or you can close your eyes. These words are for you. And these words show and represent the joy of your Savior and what he has done for you. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse... Three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. That means something that belongs to you. That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you that you coming here we thank you that what you have endured was in joy. And that shows how glorious you are, and it shows how much you love us. And so tonight, I pray for our hearts, some in this room that may be cold, some that may feel dead, some that may feel broken, some that feel distant. Lord God, I pray by your spirit that you would make our hearts burn for you you would make us into people that say we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. We cannot work our way to this place with you, but we need you and your spirit, Jesus, to move us. Thank you that you have joy in us and help us to have our joy in you. We pray this in your name, Christ. Amen.